politics in conflict live we have with us today uh, dr trita parsi who was kind enough to come back and we're going to conduct a short interview he is present for time and we're going to address the iran uh, the gcpua talks that just been concluded in vienna welcome back to geopolitics in conflict trita thank you so much for having me again my All pleasure. right. So without wasting time, I want to get your take on it. Will it be fair to state that the seventh round of talks in Vienna were successful? Well, uh, the seventh round of talks in Vienna were as disappointing as they were expected to be. Meaning you have a new government in Iran, hardline. They came in with harder demands uh, than before. This was expected. The United States and Europe rejected those dem those demands. That was expected as well. But there was enough there to have an eighth round, which is taking place right now. So I think it's a bit of an expectations management when you see what has been happening in the last couple of days, mm -hmm. particularly thanks to Russian and Chinese, uh, perhaps we could call it mediation together with the EU coordinator. There mm -hmm. seems to have been some positive movement, but there's a lot of very tough questions remaining. So. Uh, we're still in a position in which, uh, you know, we don't, I, I don't have the same optimism that I had several months ago. Okay. Well, that was one of the reasons why I want you to come uh, on live here because your input, and I know that's your, 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 your wheelhouse per se. Uh, I've been reading some reports indicating that uh, it was Russia and China that convinced Iran to sort of just move on with the talks. However, the Europeans were saying to Iran, what you are asking of it, it's 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 unbelievable it's like the us and the europeans are not going to agree to it is there any truth to that there's not not gets of truth in it the iranians did come in with demands that took the europeans and the united states back a little bit mm -hmm. uh, particularly on the nuclear front on the sanctions front they were largely repeating what they've already been saying for quite some time which perhaps is a suggestion that they were ramping things up on the nuclear front and hope that the U.S. would be more forthcoming mm -hmm. in compromising on the sanctions front and then the Iranians would back down on the nuclear front as well. Um, the Russians and the Chinese uh, have been portrayed by the U.S. as being equally frustrated. I'm not so sure that is the case. I think they have uh, had a say in, in trying to nudge the Iranians in the right direction. But I think mm -hmm. also part of this is very much the rhythm of negotiations. Here's the Iranian team. This is the new team. Mm -hmm. First time they're coming in with a new government. It is to be expected that they're going to come in and try to sound tougher and, and you know, mm -hmm. play to their domestic audience, etc. Was it unlikely that they would back down from some of those demands in the, in the subsequent round? No, not at all. I think that was largely expected. The question is, have they backed down sufficiently to make it more acceptable to the U.S.? But also a question that is not being discussed in the media, have the U.S. side been able to provide some new ideas on how the sanctions relief actually can be effective? I think we talked about it a little bit last time. The sanctions relief is not effective because uh, most companies that would go into Iran are not going to go into Iran, even if the deal is restored, until they know who is president in the United States in 2025 because european companies have gone into iran twice now and been kicked out by u.s sanctions they're not going to fall for it again a third time mm. they want stability in the sanctions but even so do the iranians of course 
So th there's got to be something on the U.S. end that is done here in order to make sure that what the U.S. is putting on the table mm -hmm. in terms of carrots actually tastes like carrots and are sweet enough. Otherwise, it's meaningless. And, and there's a broad, broader problem here. As the United States has become so polarized and so mm -hmm. divided internally, it has caused the U.S.'s ability to negotiate to be significantly weakened because our carrots, our incentives, our promises are simply not seen as credible any longer because the outside world is not trusting that the United States will stick to a deal. Wow. And that's because of how we have behaved with Trump coming in and ripping up so many different things and pressure on, Obama to, on Biden to do the same thing on mm -hmm. some of the things that Trump has done. So the rest of the world is like, you know, how can we trust what the U.S. is saying here? Because every time there's a change of government, it seems to be like an 180 degree on, on some of the promises being made. We have talked a lot about how internal divisions in the United States is undermining American democracy, weakening us internally. I don't think enough uh, attention has been put onto understanding how it's also undermining America's strength at the negotiating table in diplomacy. Mm -hmm. And this one proves it per sense as far as the U.S. lack of credibility and, and so forth. So I want to touch. I want to touch on one key issue also, Trita. Uh, uh, as you know, I'm sure you do. Uh, the head of the Mossad, uh, David Benia, was in Washington D.C. on December the sixth, if I'm not mistaken, uh, accompanied by the Defense Minister uh, Ganis, uh, Benny Gantz. What does the visit? I know it coincided with the talks. But what is the significance of the visit of the of the head of the Mossad and the defense minister? Was it to pressure the U.S. or to make a sort of a clear cut with the U.S.? We don't want any deal with Iran whatsoever. Unfortunately, uh, what the Israelis were pushing for uh, in these meetings was exactly that. A, stop the talks. I mean, Bennett said that publicly, that the U.S. Wow. should just abandon the negotiations. And we know also based on what was reported in the Israeli media, that when Gantz and, and the head of Mossad came here, they mm -hmm. were pressing the United States to take military action against Iran. Perhaps they were not trying to sell it as a war, but rather as a limited strike, etc. But everyone knows that there's no such thing mm -hmm. as a limited strike in this context. What I think was frankly quite stunning is that in the Israeli media, openly talking about how Gantz is going to the U.S. to press for military action, in the U.S. media, however, there was hardly any talk about this at all, almost as if the idea that the Israelis are pushing the United States to go into a, another war is now so normalized, so common, that it actually is not news any longer. That is stunning in my view. Wow. And is this has to do with, is, is, is Biden, basically, I'm going to say it straightforward, is President of the United States yielding to Israeli pressure? In certain aspects, he is. I don't think he is yielding in the sense of actually taking military action. But we saw several different measures that the New York Times reported as being responses to the Israeli pressure, such as the fact that um, the U.S. is now ramping up sanctions and, and mm -hmm. also seeking to implement existing sanctions more thoroughly, going back into a maximum pressure strategy that so many of Biden's own officials are on record saying not only don't work, but are counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So why are we doing something counterproductive um, if we know that it's counterproductive? That's one. The other thing is to start talking about military options and talking about a plan B and even doing military exercises with the Israelis with Iran in mind. 
those are the things that Biden has kind of yielded to the Israelis uh, in the hope of appeasing them. Whereas in reality, I think it's a huge mistake because those type of signals actually don't help the negotiations. If we think that military threats are actually what gets the Iranians to compromise, then my God, George Bush, Donald Trump should yeah. have resolved this a long time ago because yeah. there were never more uh, military threats than during that period. So uh, I, I fear that unfortunately, Biden is yielding on several different things that undermine his own negotiation strategy. And ultimately, Biden has to make a decision. Does he want to pursue the U.S.'s interest in preventing a nuclear war, uh, a nuclear weapon in Iran? Or does he want to defer to the Israeli interest, which is to go to war with Iran, take military action and make sure that the United States remains militarily committed in the Middle East rather than enabling it to be able to bring its troops home? Well, that's an interesting point because you wrote an article recently on the, uh, if, if I may just uh, check it out here, on the responsible statecraft and on the article, and I read it, by the way, Trita, uh, what I found very interesting about it is how you concluded the article by stating, and I quote here, the moral of the story is this, U.S. and Israeli interests on Iran diplomacy are irreconcilable. Biden effort to square the circle have predictably failed. Biden must choose whether he will pursue America's interest or Israel. This should not be a difficult choice, end of quote. I mean, you summed it up exactly to the point. And that is where personally I am wondering how, how China and Russia is going to react to this, how the European Union is going to be thinking in terms of if the U.S., will give its blessings to Israel to attack uh, Iran's facility. Where this is going, Trita? I, I don't think the Europeans will be in the slightest happy about it. But at the same time, uh, the Europeans right now seem to be motivated by one thing above everything else, which mm -hmm. is to restore their relationship with the United States and be relevant to the United States after the last four years of Trump. So. Um, in, in some ways, we're not seeing the E3 playing the same role in the negotiations as they did before, in which we were trying to reconcile the positions between Iran and, and the United States. The EEAS, meaning the, uh, the European foreign mm -hmm. policy head, I think is pursuing a different policy and really trying to mediate and has done a very, very uh, um, uh, positive work so far in keeping diplomacy going. The Russians and the Chinese, I think, are very interesting questions. I do wonder if the Chinese position mm -hmm. may have shifted a bit. The Chinese did not want to see a war in the region before. The Russians, I think, still do not want to see it because they mm -hmm. know how it will backfire on them uh, mm -hmm. and it will create a lot of um, uh, problems for, for them as well. But mindful of how hostile Chinese-American relations have become in the last few years now and has continued under the Biden term. I do wonder if there might be a rethink in Beijing, not in the sense that they would be pushing anything towards a war, not mm -hmm. in the sense that they would actively do anything, but in the sense that if they passively watch and see this escalate towards some form of military confrontation that once again keeps the United States busy in the Middle East, once again um, disables the United States to shift its focus towards China, that that may be something that Beijing may actually start viewing as uh, not an attractive option in any way, shape, or form, but perhaps a less unattractive option than some of the other options that they face with. Again, I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm speculating here. Um, uh, I'm sure Chinese officials would absolutely 
say that they don't want to see a war. Um, and uh, there may be truth to that, of course, as well. Certainly that was the case before. But I am mm -hmm. wondering if U.S.-China tensions are bleeding into what's happening in the JCP right now. Interesting, interesting concept. Do you foresee uh, Israel taking military actions or attacking Iran's nuclear facilities? Or is it just a... Or this is just a psychological warfare? I think I mean, in the past, it's largely been psychological warfare. And I think there's been a few moments in which they were very close. But at the end of the day, the Israelis themselves were the ones who pulled it back because they know that this is, a, this is not a war uh, similar to those that Israel has fought in, in recent no. memory. And we also seen how badly Israel performed against Hezbollah uh, and how different the last Gaza war was. So um, not to say that Israel isn't overwhelmingly superior militarily, mm -hmm. but it's not the same cakewalk that it may have been in, in the past for them in which uh, the other side didn't have ability to inflict significant damage and harm on Israel. I think that the Israelis are rethinking things because they're recognizing that the United States is in a very different place right now, that war in the Middle East is extremely politically unattractive. Clearly, seeing Iran get closer and closer to a military uh, um, uh, option mm -hmm. on this nuclear program is not politically attractive for Biden in any way, shape, or form. But an actual war may be even less so. So I think there's some Israelis that are starting to realize that Israel continuing to push for military action only hurts Israel itself. They're not going to be able to convince the United States to do this. Even if Israel were to take action itself in the hope of dragging the United States into war, I'm not so sure how successful that would be today compared to 2014, 2015, in which I think it was very clear that if the Israelis had started the war, the United States would feel compelled to come in and to finish mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that is the case any longer. I mean, remember, Biden pulled out of Afghanistan and then has gone bragging. And by the way, I strongly supported his decision to pull out of mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But he's been bragging afterwards quite incorrectly that this is now the first time in 20 years that the U.S. is not at war. The U.S. is still at war. Uh, in several different places, but not in Afghanistan, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But to do that, only to then go back into a much, much more difficult and larger war in Iran would not make a lot of sense to me. Not only strategically would it be nonsensical, but also politically. I can see Trump in 2024 coming out there and saying, four years of Trump, I didn't start a single new war, uh, despite no. all of his rhetoric and everything else. One year of Biden, and you had another major war. war in the Middle East. And that will resonate with a lot of people across the country that are absolutely sick and tired of all of these different wars that the United States has been waging that has so weakened the United States in turn. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more, Trita. My last question before I let you go, I know you're busy. Uh, where do you foresee the talks going? Will it, will this result, will, is there any positive outcome out of it? Yes, absolutely. The, the, Diplomacy can absolutely still work. It's not been exhausted. It will require greater flexibility from all sides. I wish the Iranians agreed to just sit down directly with the U.S. and talking directly to them. I understand some of their under, uh, reasonings for not doing so, but it's been a mistake. It has been a key factor as to why these talks have dragged on for so long. Mm -hmm. um, without that direct channel, it's not likely to come to a conclusion. If they're not talking directly with the American side in Vienna, I sure hope that they're doing some secret back channeling as they did back in 2013 and 2012. Because yeah. at some point, there's gotta have to be a direct channel. And so far it's the Iranians that are not, uh, that are the problem when it comes to that. On the American side, I think we really have to start taking seriously 
that our promises are not seen as credible because we're not keeping our word the way we were before. And as a result, put in mechanisms mm -hmm. uh, that will make sure that our promises have greater longevity uh, because the cost of breaking them will be higher. I think we absolutely have to address this issue because if the core give and take of the JCPOA is not there, meaning the Iranians reduce their nuclear activities and agree mm -hmm. to all kinds of inspections and mm -hmm. the US lift sanctions in a way that gives Iran economic benefit. If those two things are not there, there is no deal. And right now, our sanctions relief is significantly jeopardized and compromised. And the US is not willing to lift that at all because the pressure from Iran, from uh, Israel. It, it seems, I don't know exactly what the reason is, if it's the pressure from Israel, which certainly is one factor probably, but uh, there could be other things. Uh, it could also be that this is a challenging thing to do, but nevertheless, if we don't do it, I don't foresee us being able to get to a yes. Well, thank you so much, Reid. I would truly appreciate your insights. Thank I am you sure so much I'm going to reach me. out to you again with, once Anytime. we see with this talks. Thank you very Anytime. much, Trita. Thank you. Bye -bye. Appreciate it.